This is CD number two of the messages titled Five Steps to Productive Prayer, presented by Dr. Joseph A. Webb, President of CPR Ministries, Longwood, Florida. For more information on CPR Ministries, please visit our website at www.cprministries.org. To cast our cares upon him completely. Someone said, I don't mind Jesus Christ being king as long as I can be prime minister, you know. I still want to make the day-by-day decisions. Sure, he's in charge, but I'll make the day-by-day decisions here. Casting all your care upon him. And uh, uh, the Living Bible says it this way, Let him have all your worries and cares. All of them. It doesn't say casting, cast none of your cares upon him because he doesn't care for you. And some believe that. There's some people who call themselves Christians that believe that God really isn't interested in What really is the truth of the matter is they, they're concerned that God doesn't do it their way. What good does it do to pray? After all, God doesn't do what I ask him to do. <laughs> Ever heard anybody say that? I mean, it's a waste of time. God's not going to do it. Well, first of all, they that uh, seek the Lord is going to have to have faith to believe that he's going to do it. But the other thing you have to know is the knowledge is well enough to know that he may not do it the way you want him to do it. And let me tell you, beyond that, if he did do it the way you wanted him to do it, later on you'd be in mess. Because your ways are not his ways, and your thoughts are not his thoughts. His ways are so far above our ways, and his thoughts so far above our thoughts. And that's why so many times in my prayer I say, Lord, this is what it looks like to me, but hey, don't pay any attention to that. What I really want to know is, what are you trying to show me in this situation? Please open and close doors. You make it known to me. And I have to keep talking about it because I was so amazed. And you have no idea how willingly I would have laid my book down and let it go when I ran out of that first printing. And I said, God, there's no way I can type it again. God, there's no way. You're going to, I just give it to you. It's yours. And step by step by step. The computer, the printer, the typist that typed it on the disk. The woman came along and says, here, I'll help you with this. I want to learn how to use the software. Completed it for me. I just sat back blinking my eyes. I can't believe this, Lord. I gave it to you and said, it's yours. I, you know, I really wanted to just let... I, mean, yeah, I really don't enjoy constantly having to go through pressures. The Lord just said, I want it. And I did it again. I wouldn't have gotten mad if God hadn't done it. But I wanted his will. And I said, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do now, Lord. Casting all your care on him. It doesn't say cast none of them. It doesn't say cast your great big cares on him like the guy said, you know, my wife, I make the big decisions in the house, my wife makes the small decisions. How much money we're going to spend each week and how much money we're going to save each week and what the kids and the family are going to do. Uh, my wife takes care of all that. I decide whether China should be allowed into the United Nations or whether Russia should, uh, you know, all these international things. Uh, all the big things we let, uh, they let us take care of. And there's some people who think, well, you know, my, I, I don't know how God's going to handle these big things. And then there's the other extreme. Some people think it says uh, casting all your little bitty cares on God. And you do the rest, the best you can with the rest of them. I've actually had people say, well, I don't, I don't want to bother God with that. See, after all, he's awfully busy. <laughs> yeah, his schedule's really tough. I don't know if you, uh, Jesse and I were driving down the freeway the other day, and I said, isn't it amazing, Jesse? Just think every, I think I was with you. Every car, look at all these cars going up down, and God knows every person in every car and everything they're thinking and all the intricate details of their life. He knows us. I said, that's knowledge so far beyond us, we can't even comprehend it. And then we hesitate to tell the Lord our problems. 
When we come to prayer, we've got to really believe that God says, Come to my presence. Cast your cares on me. I feel so badly to see Christians going around loaded down with care all the time. Casting involves the fact of prayer. Jesus says, Ask and you shall receive. Not necessarily what you ask for, but you'll receive. Seek and you shall find. Not necessarily what you are seeking. And then it says, Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Not necessarily the door that you think should be opened unto you. But when it is open, thank God you can look back and say, how marvelous, how kind, how gracious the Lord is to open the door that he knew was best for me. Now I want to tell you something. There's nothing in your life but what God can and will answer if we'll let him do it and let, us, let him do it his way, not our way. You know, it's so hard. Whenever you're in a place of authority, you'll have a lot of people that will come to you and tell you what they think needs to be done. And I've told you before that I have started in the back room and by the time I got to the door out here years ago, I had four or five people tell me that they knew that they'd prayed about it and they knew exactly what God had said that I should do about a situation. And you have four or five, and you know that God told every one of them a different answer? Every one of them. And God told them what the answer was. And that's not the problem. When later on I didn't do what they had suggested, I would have had to be schizophrenic five ways, you know, do five different, do five different things. But when I didn't do it the way they thought, they thought that I was totally untouchable, you know, couldn't reach me. I said, come on, give me a break. You can tell me what you feel God tells you to do, and I have to take that to the throne and say, Lord, here's what I've heard, this, 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 this. Now, what are you trying to say to me? You know, with the buck stops here, I'm going to have to answer to God for what I have to do. And I appreciate input. But many, many times I've had people come to me and say, God told me to tell you this. Whenever they do that, I almost flinch. I think, whoa. Number one, I can't argue with it. If God told me, it's, it's impeccable. It's without change. I mean, I've got, I'm, I'm locked in. I've got to do it. Or they're wrong. You know what I found about 99 to 44, 100% of the time it is? They're wrong. Genuine, I mean, I, I mean, sincerely wrong. They, they, they don't mean to be wrong. They get involved. Uh, for example, I can give you a couple of examples. I, I can remember when somebody came up and said that they had been praying for my son. And uh, they said in this dream, God gave them a dream, and two angels came down and reached in and went, that's what they did to me. Plucked Jeff's eyes out and went, and put two new eyes right in his head. And the Lord's going to heal him, give him perfect eyesight. That's well, praise the Lord. The Lord showed you that. Let's just thank the Lord for it and wait and see him do it. How many of you know it didn't happen? But they sincerely believed that. Another one came to me and said that God had given them a dream. You know, a lot of times I just think you've got to be careful what to eat before they go to bed. And I'm not trying to make fun of them. But uh, they saw a huge choir in this nice, great big church. And I was sitting down in front and said I had gray hair. And Jeff was up directing the choir, this great big choir. Totally healed. Well, she's sincere, and she really, that's just the desire of her heart, I really believe, because she loved Jeff. But she was wrong. Unless we're going to have a choir in eternity, and I don't know that I'll still have gray hair in eternity, but <laughs> you see what I'm saying? They're really, they're really trying to do things, and they have to feel that they're saying what they, what they felt God had said to them. We have to be very careful when we say God said to them. It, you say, you know, I just feel, you know, I, I, this, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is just what I, I sensed. And 
you're in a lot better grounds when you do that. But you see, God can and will do it if we'll let him do it in his time and in his way. And that's the key. Not what I want to be, nor where I wish to go. For whom I, that I should choose my way, the Lord shall choose for me. Tis better far I know. So let him bid me go or stay. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith in what? Faith will, that God will not only do it, but he'll do it in his time, and he'll do it in his way, and it'll be perfect. It'll be right. And thank him ahead of time. Lord, I thank you ahead of time that it's already being taken care of. You're already answering. I don't know how you're going to answer, but I thank you ahead of time that the word of God says, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things, what? Which you know not. Something beyond anything you can comprehend. I remember years ago when I was concerned about getting a different car. Lord, I just thank you that you're going to make a way. Maybe you're going to give me some extra special meetings or you're going to send in a special offering or you're going to give me another something I can do on the side or earn a little bit of money from And I said, but Lord, I just commit that to you. You know my needs. And I just leave it with you. So what do I do? I go into a little church where they look so like they're so poor they couldn't pay attention. And after the man prophesied over me and I went back to sit down, you know what happened? The guy asked me to come outside and he said, God just spoke to my wife and me and said, you've been faithful to him. I'm supposed to give you something. He handed me the keys to that brand new Cadillac. Hey, you know what? I like God's ways better than my <laughs> I like God's way better than my way. I'll tell you. All the different ways I had worked out that somehow I was going to get a different car. God's way is always the best way. But when we pray, we have to believe that he's concerned and that he's going to make a way where there is no way. And uh, if you're double-minded, he says what? Can't get anything from the Lord if we're double-minded. What does double-minded mean? Well, I know that God could, but I don't think he will, you know. You got to say, Lord, I know that you said I'd cast my cares on you, and I don't know how you want to work it out, but whatever way it is, it's going to be wonderful, it's going to be right, and I thank you ahead of time because your thoughts toward me are continually good. Just help me to walk in obedience to you every day. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life completely. The result when you'll do this is that you'll begin to find sustenance, you'll find strength that you didn't have before. You'll be able to sing in the, in the darkness and whistle in the darkness. You'll be able to be happy in the, when there's gloom all around you. Why? Because your joy and your strength comes from the Lord, from within. Turn with me to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. I said you find sustenance. Cast thy burden, uh, verse 22, I'm sorry. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall what? Psalm 55:22. He shall sustain thee. What's that mean? What does it mean to sustain something? Hold it up, take care of it, provide for it. So he says, when you cast your cares on the Lord, he will sustain you. What does go and say? He shall never Underscore that word never. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. You don't have to move. The world around you has to move. When you're standing and walking with God, he makes you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Blessings will run you down, he said. That's what he said. If you'll obey me, blessings will run you down. Philippians, the fourth chapter. Verses six and seven, first of all. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. 
Years ago, I wrote it down here. I see on this verse where I've spoken on this before. It says, the prohibition, be careful for nothing. The provision, a prescription, I mean. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. The promise. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's sustenance. He'll sustain you. When you're careful for nothing, and everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Father, I thank you for the privilege of casting my cares in you. I thank you for the privilege of bringing this need before you. Thank you for the privilege of knowing that you never leave and you never forsake. You'll never let me down. That you'll make a way where there is no way. I thank you for that, Lord, ahead of time, as I'm holding this up before you. If you want me to go back to work, if you want me not to have a job, if you want me to stay in the ministry, if you want me to, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I thank you ahead of time that you're going to cause me to hear that little voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And you said they that put their trust in you will never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. And then verse 19 of that same chapter, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, does that sound like insufficiency there? All your need according to his bank account? Like when somebody said, God's bank account ain't busted. Never gets busted. Always something to draw from there. My God shall supply all your need. Now, Paul, by the way, said that to the church of Philippi because they had given out of their need to the ministry. And he said, because you've been faithful in that now, here's the end result. Your God, my God will supply all your need also. And that's how we that's how we get provision. He says, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For the same measure that you give, it shall be measured to you again. Now that doesn't mean indiscriminate throwing money away. It means walking in the Spirit and the Spirit says, give to this or do this and you're faithful to it. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of doing that. Thank you for the possibility of having a part in your ministry. Not, now, God, you've got to turn around and give it back to me. Just thank you, Lord, for the privilege. Then when our needs come, we can automatically know that some way he's going to make a way to provide for our needs. Now, you can say, oh, me, or amen, I don't care. You get sustenance, but you, there's also provision here, it says, in Matthew, the sixth, sixth chapter. Matthew, chapter six. I will quit here in a couple minutes. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. Not only do we have sustenance, we also have provision. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are they not much better than they? Than they? Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature, unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like unto one of these. Solomon in all his glory. What does that mean? All that you could say about Solomon, his wisdom, his clothes, his, his kingdom, his palace, the temple, all these, not, not all those things put together are arrayed like on one of these. What? The flowers that God put together. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye, little, o ye of little faith? Take, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. 
For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now let me show you. He put that right in the middle there. He didn't say be praying constantly for God to provide this, provide that, and provide the other. Don't get into, get, get into a gimme-itis program of prayer. He says the first key is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness if you want God to provide for you. And then all these other things will be added unto you. Therefore, take therefore no thought. And the emphasis there in the Greek is that never that thought should never come. It shouldn't even enter into your mind that you aren't going to be provided for. You're not supposed to lay awake all night rolling back and forth saying, Oh, God, what am I going to do? Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Can you imagine how many ulcers they would have had in the wilderness if every day for 40 years they stayed awake half the night wondering, Is there going to be manna in the morning? Will it be there? I wonder. And these shoes, I mean, after all, they've lasted for 39 years. They've got to give out sooner or later. What am I going to do when these shoes get out in this hot sand? It's going to be impossible to be able to continue to exist. And what if this shirt starts sharing, a shirt starts tearing here? I mean, after all, I've had it on now for 28 years or 38 years or what? Can you imagine the turmoil there? Every day they just walk faithfully where God told them to walk, and they followed the cloud running during the day and the pillar of fire by night, and God provided for all their needs. Now, if he did it for them in the Old Testament, what makes us think that he won't do it for us? We've got to believe that God is concerned about our lives. And when we pray, we have to realize that God and God is not out to break us, but to make us. So when we pray and things don't turn out the way we think they ought to, it's because it's God that's working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's trying to bring things into our lives to make us be what he wants us to be. He's going to sand off those rough edges. He's going to gouge out those black spots. He's going to get all the things out and finish it. He's not only the author, but he's the finisher. You ever had any project, project that you had to finish? You know, the sandpaper, the steel wool, all that? That's what God, he's the finisher of our faith. He takes out the rough spots when he's working on us to bring us what he wants to be. And we can stand on the promise of God before us who can be against us. We know that no weapon is formed against us can prosper. That tells me that there's going to be weapons forming against us, but none of them can prosper. And we can say, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning me. For I know that all things work together for good to them that love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. God wants to work in us and through us and for us. And we have to believe that. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. So he says, casting all your care upon him. You need to understand about prayer because, you know, a lot of Christians just don't pray as they ought to pray. A lot of people get discouraged because they pray and they don't see exactly what they expect. They don't understand prayer. Prayer is saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I submit to your will. I want to do what you want. I'm your servant. Just give me orders. Tell me what to do. And then walk by faith. Lord, I'm going to be, I want to be sensitive. I want to hear you. Don't let me mess up on this. And if the peace of God is not ruling in your heart, quit. Stop. Right there. Back up. Lord, why did I lose my peace just now? What are you trying to say to me? Please, show me. Don't let me mess up. That's what prayer is all about. For guidance. Daily guidance. I don't know that I told you this, but I, I thought it was humorous when I heard somebody say not too long ago that 
Jesus Christ, you really think that Jesus Christ went around trying to find ways to get the Jews stirred up. But he'd even walk past the guy and say, well, I'm not going to heal him now. I'll heal him on the Sabbath. That'll really get him shook. <laughs> he was really trying to rattle their cages to show them, you know, you can't put God in the box. You can't force God to be a certain way. He's going to be God. And when we pray, we've got to let him be God. Because his ways are so much better than our ways. How many of you are glad that God didn't answer some of your prayers? Yeah, you know, if God had answered some of my prayers today, I would really, I'd really be done. That's why I hope I've learned. I come to that verse that says, And whosoever he be with you that is not willing to forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Lord, it's not my property, it's yours. It's not my car, it's yours. It's not my talent, it's yours. It's not my wife, it's yours. It's not my girlfriend, it's yours. Do whatever you want to, Lord. I don't dare love them more than I love you. I don't dare. If I do, I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I can't expect all the other things to be added unto me. I've got to stay in that position. Like I used to say years ago and hadn't said it for a long time, but you've got to stay under the spout where the glory comes out. That's where the blessings are. Amen? Thank you, Father, for the privilege of prayer. So thankful that the word says your ear is not heavy so that you cannot hear. Your arm is not shortened that it cannot save. We're telling you ahead of time, all we want to do is your perfect will and way. We release everything to you, our ministries, our work, our talents, our gifts, our concerns, our family, our loved ones. We give them all to you and ask if somehow you'll fill us with the Holy Spirit where we'll moment by moment be able to say and do only those things you tell us to say and do and to trust you implicitly that you're going to make a way, that you're going to show us. And we'll hear that voice. This is the way we walk in it. And we'll look back and see how you led us all the way, even during through the difficult times. Well, Father, I pray that we'll not murmur or complain. We'll not try to squirm out of it. But we'll let patience have its perfect work. So when that time comes, we'll hear you say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. We've been talking about the five steps for productive prayer. And the first one is whatever we pray for, you should uh, be deeply interested and concerned about. If you're not concerned, why should God get concerned? The second point was we must feel totally unable to accomplish what we desire. Why go to God in prayer if you can do it yourself? We should ask the Lord for guidance and direction and wisdom but when there's something that he puts in our hands that we can do ourselves, we ought to do it to the best of our ability with believing that the Lord is going to give us wisdom and understanding. And then what we can't do for ourselves, believe God for the rest of it. Thirdly, we said we must believe that God is interested and concerned in what interests and concerns us. If he's not a God whose ear is not heavy that he cannot hear, nor his arm short that he cannot save, why should we call on him? If we don't believe he answers prayer, it's a waste of time call on We must understand that when we call upon the Lord, we do not command the Lord. We simply present our need to the Lord, thank him ahead of time that he has the answer and that he will give us the wisdom because he said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. You have to believe, he says, without faith it's impossible to please God and not to be double-minded. If we're double-minded about it, well, I prayed, but, you know, I... I you see, now, the only time that should come in is when you demand something from God. If you say, well, I don't know if he's going to answer or not. He probably won't, because you and I do not have the right to demand anything from God. 
Jesus could have demanded that that cup be passed from him, but he didn't. He said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from him. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he was willing to do the will of God, even though it was contrary to everything the flesh was crying out about. So uh, we have to realize that, uh, believe that God is interested and concerned. And he said that if a sparrow falls to the ground, he sees it all together. He said, aren't you more valuable than a sparrow? And if we really believe that we're more valuable than a sparrow, we need to understand that the Lord is going to be interested in those things that are in our lives. And so we've been talking about 1 Peter, the 5th chapter, verses 6 and 7, is what we've been preaching on. And we're still going to get back to 1 Peter 4, where it says, Casting all your care upon him. And I said, first of all, it's a command. Secondly, that it requires effort because we have to put aside all pride and all doubt when we come to the Lord and ask him or cast our cares upon him. And I told you the Living Bible said that, that that same verse is, Let him have all your worries and your cares. And it involves a prayer of telling the Lord and a, then asking the Lord for wisdom and guidance and direction and that his will be done. And then to have faith enough to claim those promises and wait for God to operate or work in that situation in his due time. 1 Peter 4, or 5, right now we're talking about 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. He says when we will call upon him, he, he gives us some promises. And that's what we talked about last week too. First of all, that during the time that we're waiting for the Lord to answer prayer, he will sustain us if we're obedient to him. Ask for his will and let his will be done in our life. He will sustain us. And secondly, he'll provide for us so that we'll make it through. Now, again, he says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Some people feel they don't have their third car and their second cabin and their third boat that God isn't providing for them. He only says he'll promise, he promises to take care of our needs. But when he learns he can trust us, that we'll become conduits instead of reservoirs of the blessings of God, then he can, he can begin to let more blessings flow into our lives so that we can bless others. He said that you can have all sufficiency in all things that you might, that you might be able to give to others. Not just for yourself, but to be able to give to others. We've already talked about what Larry Burkett said about that, that we need to sit down and say, Lord, what level would you have me to operate at financially? Once we find that out and write that down, say, okay, now, Lord, anything comes in above and beyond that, I will determine that that is from you to minister to other needs in the body and for other ministry. And wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if that started happening? If everybody started doing that in their lives? But... Uh, the greatest problem that we have when it comes to believing God and casting all our care upon him is, first of all, the fear of, well, what if he doesn't answer? Well, if he doesn't answer, you're better off without an answer. Let me say that again. If you're asking God for something and his answer, maybe his answer was no. And if his answer is no, it was an answer that was given to you out of love. How many of you, if your child came into the bathroom while you were shaving and asked you for a straight razor, you would say, oh, honey, sure, I love you so much. Here, you can have this straight razor. Go over in the corner and play with it. How many of you would give your child, little child, a, a go like this and show them how a, a Bic works, a little Bic lighter works, and say, here, honey, some parent evidently did that because this past week a child went in the back bedroom and started a fire. You see, there's certain things you know that as a parent, because you love them, you won't let them, they're not ready to handle things yet. And so a lot of times when we ask the Lord for something, if, if he doesn't answer yes in that particular situation, you can mark it down that he realizes in love that you're not ready for it yet. But many people are just full of fear when they come to the Lord, cast the care on the Lord, well, he's not going to do what I want him to do, and he's not going to fulfill my desires. He didn't say he'd fulfill our desires. 
He said we walk uprightly with him, he'll not withhold any good thing from them that walk uprightly. And we're walking uprightly means that we're walking in his will, and we want his will above everything else. Secondly, uh, another problem or obstacle, obstacle to answered prayer is selfishness on our part. Us four and no more. I know what I will do. I will tear down these barns, and I will build bigger barns, and I will say to my soul, take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. And uh, we have to be very careful why we're asking for something from the Lord. What's our motive? Thirdly, just plain old pride. Lord, I'd really like to have this because, you know, I'm really feeling kind of embarrassed because my neighbors have more than I do. And I'd like to get kind of caught up here a little bit because, Lord, after all, I am here I'm representing you, so shouldn't I be a king, uh, live like a king? No, we should live like a king's kid. When Jesus came here on earth, he was a king's kid. And what did he do? He poured out his life. He laid down his life for us. And Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. The purpose is not for us to build up a large kingdom here on earth as much as it is to establish his kingdom here on earth. You're not going to take it, we're not going to take it with us after all. We're only going to be stewards of what God's given to us. And it's these things, fear and selfishness and pride, that cause anxiety and worry. If we really go back to what I talked about a couple of months ago, the fact that we, are, we do not own ourselves, we do not own our possessions, we do not own our talents, they're all the Lord's, and we can't lose anything. It's not ours to begin with. And faith, when faith speaks, it says, Life is not out to break me, but life is out to make me. Because if God be for me, who can be against me? And when circumstances and difficulties come into life, it's not there to break you and to destroy you and smash you. It may be there to humble you, but in humbling you, it makes you to be what God wants you to be. It says, let patience have its perfect work. Don't try to squirm out of it. Let patience have its perfect work. So when we come out, we'll be refined like silver, ready for the master's use. So when we're talking about casting all our care on him, we have to realize that that's the purpose of it. Look in Jan now let's go over to 1 Peter and go on tonight. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, first of all, verses 1 and 2. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind or the same attitude. Let me say that again. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, for as much as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. How did Christ suffer for us in the flesh? The Bible says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now he said, now with that same attitude, likewise, with the same attitude or mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. These things, when, when we're under suffering, how many of you know that people are not nearly as, as prone to go out and sin when they're under pressure because of, of the, the world and the devil and everything else coming against them? They're on their faces before God. It's when things get to going well and the finances start coming in <clears throat> and they start believing their own public relations that they get into trouble. But it's while they're under pressure that they're, most of the time that they're on their faces before God, seeking God for wisdom and strength every day. So if you're under the gun all the time, you feel like there's no let up, realize that God's got you in the furnace of his uh, trying to get the dross out of your life to let you be what he wants you to be. And the scripture says that we should be happy about it. Let's go on. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Then go over to verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice, or really be glad about it. Rejoice when trials and tests come. How many of you know that this is not the type of verse that you find on a refrigerator door or on the dashboard? 
Now, how many of you have seen the verse, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus on refrigerator door? You ever seen them there or on dashboard? How many of you have ever seen these verses on a refrigerator door? I wonder why. You know, a study was made years ago, and I mentioned it some years ago, that uh, they made up uh, the Ten Commandments and tried to sell them. They couldn't sell them. Even though the Bible says in the Old Testament to put the laws and commandments of the Lord on your walls uh, of your home so that your children will see them and be reminded of them, we don't see commandments on the walls. What do we see? Promises, 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 promises. They put out promises and all the promises sold, but none of the commandments. Why? People are saying, don't tell me what to do. And then we criticize our Supreme Court when there's a capital punishment uh, uh, case in there. They make them cover up the Ten Commandments on the wall, lest someone sitting there in the jury box look up there and be influenced and think that possibly someone should be held responsible to obey those Ten Commandments. And yet Christians don't want them on their walls. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be recursed or reproached for the name of Christ, cry and feel sorry for yourself and crawl into a hole and pull it in after you. Is that what it says? Crawl out under spit and slide under the door. You just feel down so low, you know. Is that what it says? If you be reproached, people talk against you, say nasty things about you for the name of Christ. Now, not because you've done something wrong, not because you've acted like an idiot out there, but because you're doing something right for Christ and people get mad at you. I had, let me tell you something, I had to get this thing way down in my gizzard. Way down in my gizzard. I mean, beyond my heart and my, my liver and everything. Clear down my, I had to get this down there to where I had to say, it doesn't make any difference what anyone says. If this is what God's Word says, have at it. Let me have it. I couldn't care less. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will never pass away. And right now, you may have the upper hand, but bless God, I've read the last chapter, and when we stand there, He said, it's the Word that I've spoken. That's what's going to judge you in that last day. So say anything you want to say. And uh, when George and I were talking, I, I said, uh, George, whatever you want to feel about me, that's between you and the Lord. But we're still going to have to answer to the Word. It's the Word that we're going to be judged by. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Now verses 16 through 19. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, another one says, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. It says, if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Don't put your head down. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't go crawl in a hole. Let him, not, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall, be the end, shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a, an unreliable creator. Is that what it says? What it says? Oh, that's different, isn't it? As unto a faithful creator. 
When you commit it to the Lord, it doesn't make any difference what men think. It doesn't make any difference what men say. It doesn't even make any difference what men do to me. Because it's not really important if they even kill me. That doesn't make any difference. The absence of the body is to be present with the Lord. But my faithful creator is in charge of the universe. They can't do anything to me. They can't say anything to me. But what he allows it to happen. And in the long run, if I live uprightly, they will end up being ashamed and not me. Now, how many of you know this is not the way the natural flesh goes? How dare you say that about me? You, but I'll sue you. That's the old flesh. Word of God says, no, no. Even as they came against Christ, humble yourselves in the sight of God. He will lift you up. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, which said at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. He says in the same way, like manner, realize that just as they treated Christ and spoke against him and he didn't retaliate, we must not retaliate. We must still love in Jesus' name. Peter was prognosticating or forecasting here that fiery trials are going to come against these Christians. Now I know that that is not what our brethren who preach the uh, blab it and grab it theology today have to say. They say, in fact, if you even suggest that some of those things can happen, it's going to jump on you like a flea on a dog. It's going to be all over you and it's going to eat you up. No, he says that these fiery trials are going to come because he was, it was realistic. Jesus himself said, uh, this one man built his house upon the sand, another built his house upon the, uh, upon the rock, and if the storm came, it wasn't what he said, he said, and when the storm came, because the storm will come sooner or later. Now, Jesus wasn't being negative in his confession. He was telling you what life was all about. The Bible says life is short and full of trouble. In this world you shall have tribulation. So be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Jesus wasn't talking negatively. He was saying, hey, here's realistically what's going to happen. A storm is going to come sooner or later. When it comes, where your house is built is what's going to be important. Not the products that are in the building itself, but the foundation. The foundation is what's going to be important. So he said, get ready for it. And he says, when it comes, let go and let God. And uh, it said here in, in, in the fourth chapter, it says, rejoice and be exceeding, uh, be glad and be, ex excuse me, be glad with exceeding joy. Now, I want to tell you something. That is very, very difficult to do. And I've had to really try to practice that when I've had people say terrible things against me. When I get in the car to go home and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for the privilege of being able to experience a little bit of what the Lord Jesus experienced when he was here on earth. I am so grateful that you give me the opportunity to feel a little bit of what he felt. What did Paul say? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of what? His suffering. That I can experience a little bit of what Jesus must have experienced. He said, whenever you experience that, you should rejoice. And by the way, let me tell you something. When the crowd is mad at you, generally speaking, you can feel pretty comfortable that you must be right. Because in the word of God, the crowd is always wrong. Did you know that? Every time there was a majority, they were in the wrong spot. It's always, God's always had a minority saying what he said. I can still remember when I say let go and let God, it's, it's not our nature to do that. God, listen, here's what I'm going to do. Now, can you get with me and help me through this? That's, that's our main attitude. This is what I'm going to do. Will you help out now? Doesn't say, Lord, I don't know what you want to do, but here I am to help out in any way I can. I'm available. I remember when my mother-in-law used to drive. I mean, I used to drive... My mother-in-law was in the car. Uh, she helped me a tremendous amount when we were driving. She would have dents in the floorboard on her side. 
she'd almost pull the handle off the doorknob. She would raise up when she'd see a bump coming. I mean, I'd say, did that. Thanks, Mom. I really, I really helped a lot. I appreciate that. You know, always give her a hard time. I said, well, Mom, leave the door handle now. We'll need it when we get out. And I'll say, oh, don't worry about the floorboard, Mom. I'll pound the holes. I'll pound the, the dents out later on. She was trying to help me. I can remember riding with a fellow in an airplane one time. And when he would start to turn, I was going like this to help him go around the corner. When we came down, you don't, you have no idea how much lighter I made that plane when I went like this. I saw him ready to land that little old plane. I, mean, I was really helping him all the way. And I didn't need to. He had control of the thing. He could have done. But, you know, that's the way we are with the Lord a lot of times. God, this is what we're going to hear. I'll help you, Lord. And God doesn't need any help. He just needs that we be available to let his spirit lead us. Once we cast all our cares upon him, then expect him to open the doors and lead us and direct us in the right way. Like I said, pride will keep us from doing that because a lot of times we like to say, see what I have done. And how much more wonderful it is to be able to say, I fought a good fight, I finished the course, and there's a treasure later, but to be able to say, it's, I can't do anything of myself. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I'm now living in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Paul said. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. And that's where we, uh, uh, Peter said it here, he says, commit the keeping of their souls to him as unto a faithful creator. We have to commit ourselves to the Lord, body, soul, mind, and spirit, and let him take charge. We, I like what a black pastor said one time to his people, he says, brothers and sisters, we need to learn to sit loose. We've got to learn to sit loose. In other words, let go. I mean, relax. Let God be in charge. Let him do what he wants to do. That's why our mental hospitals are full, and so many Christians, so-called Christians, are full of medications today. They have never learned to trust in the Lord with all their heart and not lean to their own understanding and all the ways acknowledge him and let him direct their paths. They always are concerned. I, I've, I've gone into mental hospitals time and time again, and people just absolutely refuse to quit working. I mean, worrying about their job. I'm not suggesting that you should sit back and say, well, I'm going to sit here and watch television until God brings me a job. That's what I'm talking about. I'm saying, Lord, I'm available, and whatever, wherever you want me to work, whatever kind of work you want me to do, if it's even scrubbing floors or cleaning septic tanks or whatever it is, Lord, I'm willing to do it. I'll go out and start looking for a job, and I'm asking you to open and close the doors and make this thing available that you want me to do. And let me know in here, my knower, that this is it. This is what you want me to do. There's so many Christians that are misfits today. They don't have any idea. Well, I'm just working here because I'm making a living so I can buy food and so I can go to sleep and get enough rest so I can get up and go to work to make enough money to buy food and go to bed again. And, you know, that, that's their whole life. It's not that God has put me here as a light and as a witness and as a testimony in this particular situation. For they say, I am here because this is where God placed me. See, I believe you, and I've said this before, I believe you can be right where you are on your job and be just as much in the will of God as I can be because I'm in this pulpit. Some people say, what difference does it make? This pulpit or another pulpit or another pulpit? I believe that there is a place that God has for every Christian, and they should be in that place. You remember what we, the message I gave on Jacob some time ago, that God blessed him there? He said, you go to this brook and I'll feed you there. And if he hadn't gone to that brook, I don't think he'd have got fed. He said, go to this widow way up here in this other town, and when you get there, she'll feed you there. I think he could have gone to a thousand other widows and would have starved to death. God has a place for us that we should be there so that God's blessing can be on us. And if we're not, I'll tell you, you'll be, before long, you'll be like you're born in the objective case and your head itches, you'll scratch your foot. You'll be so contrary. Everything will just go backwards and you'll just feel, why? Because you haven't settled and said, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, Lord, let me bloom where I'm planted. Let me bloom right where I'm planted. 
Some people cannot relax concerning their uh, their bills. And by the way, let, let me just let me say how to apply this with your job. I got to quit here in a couple minutes. With your job, what you need to do is learn the biblical principles concerning employment. I believe every employer needs to learn biblical principles concerning employment. When you employ others, what does God's word say? How should you treat your employees? If you're an employee, how does God say you should treat your employer? And when you're there, realize that 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 boss is not the one you're to be concerned about. The company that you're working for is not the one you're to be concerned about. You're to be concerned about the fact that Jesus Christ and God the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, and they're watching you every moment, and it says in the word, whatsoever you do with your hand, your hand's fine to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. So when you do your job, you're saying, Lord, I hope you're pleased with this. I want to do it to please you. Not that I can get through and get to quitting time so I can get my, my paycheck, or Friday night so I can get my paycheck, but I want to do it as unto you so when I'm through, you can hear, I can hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to tell you something. God sees your handiwork wherever you are, wherever you're working. If you're only making sandwiches, or you're sweeping a floor, or you're washing windows, or you're doing the laundry, or if you're, if you're writing the, uh, a new constitution for the state or the United States of America, God watches what believers do, and we have to do it as unto him. Once you do it as unto him, now here's where a lot of problems come in. Understand what I'm going to say this to you. There are some employers that will rob their steal from their employees. They'll not pay them a decent wage. They'll try to make them work overtime. They'll make them work longer hours than they're supposed to work. Try to get them to do a lot of things that they're not being compensated for. Hey, I make more profit that way. But God says, I see what you're doing. And then when they get into trouble, they say, why isn't God answering prayer? If you're an employee, if you're not doing as under the Lord and being honest, not stealing from your employer, if you're not putting in a good day's wages for a salary, or a good day's work for a good day's wages, then don't expect God to bless you. Don't even expect him to promote you to something better. There are some people who think there's nothing wrong with taking some of the things and products and stuff. Oh, I mean, after all, the company doesn't miss it. They've got so much extra, you know. That's stealing. Or they'll sit to the side and begin to criticize their company. Criticize all the policies when, when that's not part of their job. I mean, look at your job description. Does it say criticize the policies of the company? Well, they're not paying me enough. Did you agree to that pay when you came? Did you agree that the raises would come such and such? If you do, don't complain. Just say, well, Lord, I'll continue to do this unless you, until you open a big, bigger and better door. But if you do what you're supposed to do before God, you won't have to worry about not getting a raise. They won't want to get rid of you. Under normal circumstances, unless you've got some demonized person over you, they're not going to want to throw you out. I mean, because they're not stupid. If they see someone that's really producing, they want to keep you. I remember when I was working at the flour mill, and I, I'd already learned this principle that you don't work for the boss. You learn, in fact, the boss came to me one time out in the warehouse and came around the corner. He says, you're some strange animal. I said, what's the matter? He said, I've stood back and watched you, and you didn't think I was watching you. And he said, even when I'm not around, you keep working, and the rest of them don't. I've caught a lot of them not working. He says, what's going on? I said, because I'm not working for you. He said, what do you mean you're not working for me? I said, you're my employer, but you're not my boss. I said, I committed my life to Jesus Christ, and I told him I was going to do everything I could to work and do my work as unto him, and I, he's watching me all the time. And he didn't know what to think of that, but they came back just about a month later, and the, the man from the headquarters, I mean, from the office, came out and said, Joey said, uh, I understand you're getting ready to go to college, Bible college. I said, yes, I am. He said, I'll tell you what, a company like us would like to keep someone like you. How about letting us take, send you to the University of Nebraska here, and we'll pay for your whole education. If you, uh, when you graduate, come back and work for us. 
That's well, I, that, that would really be nice, and I really appreciate that, but I'm not going to Bible college because I want to go to Bible college. In fact, if I'd have had my way, I wouldn't go to school another day in my whole life, but I really feel the Lord told me I'm supposed to go there and study God's Word. And so we just want you to know the offer's there that we'll pay for your education. Instead, I went and paid, worked for five and a half years to get my own education because I knew that's where God wanted me to be. And I can remember making six and seven dollars a week thinking, yeah, it'd be nice if my education were paid for, but Lord, I'm thankful that you're still in charge. But you see, while I was there, then I can say it doesn't make any difference whether I get six dollars or six hundred dollars this week. I'm in the will of God. And so I didn't get nervous. I didn't have to go on medications or anything else. I was able to relax. Then I could cast all my care on the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not here because I want to be here. I'm here because you put me here. And you don't know how many times I've prayed that in the last few years right here in this pulpit. I'm not here because I want to be here, Lord. You know that I came here with my heels digging in all the way. You have got to be kidding me. And he said, no, I'm not kidding you. That's where I want you, right there. I said, fine. And you shut the door, or you open the door, or you make it go, or you close it down, whatever. Just show me what to do. I'll tell you, that relieves ulcers. You won't get ulcers when you operate that way. That way. Secondly, on our bill. If you and I will operate by biblical principles, not going into debt, not piling up a bunch of, of debt that, that by you know spontaneous purchases, it's anything we want to get. And how many, how many of you know it would be very easy from time to time to think, you know, well, I can go get another car, a new car. I mean, after all, the payments are only this much a month. But you see, God has convicted me on that. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to get another car until you show me, provide for it, or show me that I can go out and get another car and pay for it. I've only got 130-some thousand on my Lincoln. And I know somebody in this church that had the Lincoln one time with 300,000 miles on it. And we can, uh, we can keep on going. That's not, that's not important. You see, whenever... Whenever the time comes that I'm supposed to get another car, I'll know that I know that I know. And I'll have peace about it. And we'll get a different car at that time. In the meantime, I, I don't want to go into debt. I want to stay out of debt. Sure, it'd be nice to have some different things, but I don't need them unless the Lord says, I want you to have them. Now, there's times when I've thought, I, I really don't need them. And somebody's come along and said, the Lord told me to get this for you. I said, thank you, Lord. That's mercy. That's beyond grace. That's mercy. Thank you, Lord. You're so good to me, and I appreciate it. And when I said about my book, I said, Lord, it's up to you. And I told you what happened. Step by step by step, God just literally rewrote my book for me. You know, there's no more glorious experience in the world than to stand back and blink your eyes and watch God do things for you. And he'll do it if you'll operate by biblical principles when you cast all your care on him. And the third thing, yeah, yeah, too late already. Uh, third thing is in... Uh, in your possessions. We've talked about that. They belong to the Lord. And if they belong to the Lord, release them to the Lord. They're not yours anyway. And if, you, if he wants you to give them away, have him tell you to give them away and give them away. You see, you can't outgive the Lord. He says, in the same measure you give, it shall be given unto you again. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. When it comes to your children, now, now I'm going to quit preaching and go to Midland. When it comes to your children, operate by biblical principles Train them up in the way they should go according to their bent. Do what God's Word says in, in the area of discipline and then commit them to the Lord completely. They're not yours anyway, believe it or not. God could call them out of this life instantly. And He only gives us the privilege of raising them for Him. If you will do what God tells you to do, I can tell you right now, it will not come, the, God's Word will not return void. It will produce the fruit that it's supposed to produce. 
and you won't have to be up all night worrying about your children if you will uh, operate the biblical principle. And then, in when it comes to being a witness for Jesus Christ with other people in soul winning, if you'll operate by biblical principles, what's that? You're ready to give an answer to anyone and ask a reason for the hope that lies within you. As you're going into all the world, preach the gospel, declare the good news. The euangelios means good news, the word that we, from which we get gospel today. Euangelios is wherever you go, be a light, be a witness for Jesus Christ. And if you and I will sow where he tells us to sow, when he tells us to sow, how he tells us to sow, the harvest is up to him, isn't it? Did you hear that? If we sow where he tells us to, when he tells us to, and how he tells us to sow, then the harvest is up to him. You don't have to get ulcers because I don't see any fruit. Because crying and worrying about it won't change a thing. And when it says casting your care upon him, it is not being presumptuous. It's what God wants you to do, and therefore it's a sin if we don't do it. It's a sin if we don't do it. Now, I'm going to stop right there, and uh, next Wednesday night I want to get into that a little bit further. This is such an important truth for us to learn, so important to learn to operate not by nerves but by faith, casting our cares on him because he does care for us. Father, tonight in Jesus' name I pray that for every person that's here, that you'll quicken the word of God to their heart. Wherever they are tonight, whether they be students, whether they be children, whether they be adults, whether they be businessmen, whether they be workers, whether they be professional people, whatever they might be, that the Spirit of God will challenge them to apply these truths and to learn that the word of God means when you cast it literally discarded, not bringing them back, but laying them completely upon you, and know that you care for us and that they'll trust you to work out in their lives the perfect will of God. Teach us to operate by biblical principles because when we fulfill your requirements, you're duty-bound to fulfill your promise. Make that a truth that never, we never forget. In Jesus' precious name I do ask it. Amen. I hope this is helpful. God bless you. Hmm? Someone said, where are you since then? I have since then been uh, giving expository teaching on two portions of Scripture, Psalm 146, verses 5 through 9, and now I'm involved in expository preaching concerning 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, which have to do with knowing that God is interested in us and concerned about us and what we do. So the, the verses I want you to turn to again are 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. So in your outline, we're under point three, the second portion of Scripture, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And we were talking this last time about casting all your care upon him because he careth for you. Verse 7, and we said, first of all, that it's a command and secondly, that it requires effort on our part. Uh, the Living Bible says, Let him have all your worries and cares. And it involves prayer, where you're telling and asking God, telling your needs and asking him for his guidance and direction and wisdom and his provision. And then second, it takes faith to claim the promises and wait for God's due time to answer those prayers. 
the first thing I said there under that is that it's a command that requires effort. Thirdly, is his his promise uh, to the, he gives a promise to the obedient. And the first promise is that he will sustain you. We talked about that last week. Secondly, he said he'll provide for you. And number four, I said man's problem that's involved in this is fear, selfishness, and pride. These are the things that cause worry and anxiety and doubt. And faith says to life that it is not out to break me, but it's out to make me. That's what we talked about last week. So when we talked about... uh, the fact that uh, we should cast all our cares upon him. Peter himself was prognosticating. Want to turn that off? Prognosticating. Okay. Peter himself was prognosticating that uh, there was going to be fiery trials come. And he said, when they come, don't try to squirm out of them, but let patience have its perfect work. God is working in us. And... Uh, it's worth it. The tribulation is worth it because we're going to come out better for the Lord Jesus Christ. So let go and let God do it. And uh, sit loose and quit worrying about the daily problems of life. Jesus said, take no thought concerning tomorrow, for the tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He said, don't worry about where you're going to eat, what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on, uh, where you're going to sleep. Don't worry about those things. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Now the worry comes in when we begin to dictate to God what kind of food we want to eat and what kind of house we want to live in and what kind of car we want to drive rather than say, Lord, you show me. Now I say that because I know of a time when Beverly's parents were in the church and they were in such financial need that for, I think they said, if I remember right, almost two weeks they ate pickled peaches for breakfast, lunch, and supper. For two weeks. They didn't want to look a peach in the face for a long, long time after that. And they were praying every day, Lord, thank you for these peaches. We thank you for your provisions. We're thankful that you know and you know what our needs are. We're thankful that you're going to make a way where there is no way. And you know, about about the third day, some people would have been saying, God has forsaken me. I'm going to go out and get a job. I quit. You know, all this stuff. They said, no, the Lord's put us here. And they said they learned how to pray and to believe God for things. And she can remember when they were going to have speakers, I mean, have a speaker come to the church, and they had no meat. And she said, Lord, I'm just trusting you that you're going to make a way. I don't know where it's going to come from, but I thank you you're going to make a way. And she said the man who delivered their garbage came up to the house and knocked on the door and knew Brother brother Kerr, huh? I picked up the garbage. Sorry about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Picked, picked up their garbage and uh, knocked on the door. He said, "He said, Brother Kerr, or Mrs. Kerr said, uh, uh, we just cleaned a bunch of chickens at our house and uh, the missus told me to bring you and gave them, gave them one or two nice big plump chickens that they had just cleaned completely and had them all uh, wrapped up and brought it to them. More than enough for that particular day. She said, I can remember time after time when God would send different ones in. Now, they have been in churches. They were in one church. But they said in all the years they were there, they didn't know that a cow had anything but liver and tongue. That's all the people bring them, cow liver and cow tongue. It showed you their attitude toward their pastor. There was a church in in Iowa one time. I never was pastor there, but I knew a pastor friend of mine that went there. And he said that he didn't get much salary, but they had three freezers in the basement. And the the, uh, women of the church were, I'm excuse me, in the garage. The women of the church 
their job was to come and check out those three freezers and make sure they're full of frozen food and frozen meat and frozen desserts. They said those freezers were filled to the brim all the time. They could have all the people in there one, say you feed them everything they wanted, and they would just be replaced, just like a, a service coming to them every single day. Uh, but you see, God says that he's going to provide for us as he sees fit to provide for us. Can you imagine when the prophet had to go to the, to the brook and be provided meat with the bird from the birds? How many preachers would have said, that does it, I've had it, this is for the birds, I'm going to quit. I mean, after all, I should be able to at least have enough money in my pocket to go and buy some food that God provided for me. And when you read these things, you begin to realize that when God says, cast all your care upon him, it means even cast upon him the means by which he's going to provide, and even cast upon him what those provisions are and thank him for all things. You saying, oh me or amen? You see, again, it's, it's not, and many times it's not what God provides for us, it's what we expect him to provide for us. And we're not casting all our care on him when we begin to dictate to him. It's like saying, you can be king, but I'm going to be prime minister. I want to make the daily decision. And that's when we get into trouble. And that's when we get into turmoil. And that's when we get into anxiety. And don't, when we don't cast our care upon him, it's presumptuous when we do not cast our cares upon him. It's a sin not to do it because he's commanded us to do so. Now that word cares, casting all your cares upon him, the word is merim, mer, excuse me, rim, merimna, M-E-R-I-M-N-A, merimna, and uh, I checked out the different meanings of that word merimna, and it means deep concerns, cast all your deep concerns upon the Lord, cast all your anxious interests upon the Lord. Got any anxious interests? Your children, your job, your food, your car, your clothes, your relationship. Cast all your, your job, cast all your anxious interests upon the Lord. All your anxieties and worries. Fourthly, that which distracts and racks the mind, cast it upon the Lord. Now, I want to tell you something. This pastor in the past year, in many years in the past, have gone through experiences where all night long my mind would recite and my mind would recite. Well, maybe I missed something. I'd go over it again and go over it again and go over it again and go over it again until I was just completely distraught. And one time I was laying there and I said, God, this is sin. I refuse this in Jesus' name. I'll not think of this again. I command my mind not to think of this again in Jesus' name. This will not go through my mind again. And it started to go, I said, no, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, no. And it took a long time to break that thing that I had allowed to come into my mind to where, you know, again, I tell you, I'm serious when I say there's some people that worry if they don't have something to worry about. Well, I don't know. I'm feeling so good today. There must be something going to happen, you know. Have you ever met people like that? I'm not exaggerating. There are people just like that. And you have to come to the place where you say, I refuse that in Jesus' name. That is not casting my care upon him. If he really cares for me, I can't. Fifthly, it's the state of being pulled apart. Cares is like a state where you feel like you're being pulled apart. You ever heard the squeaking and the grinding in a motor? You put a little oil in there and it takes care of it? Or when you feel squeaking and grinding in your mental anguish, you have to let the Holy Spirit come in and oil that to quiet it down and realize that God's in control and will take care of it. 
You say, well, why does God say cast all our cares upon him? Because God's word says clearly that for us to worry is sin. God says in his word very clearly that when we allow ourselves to worry, it can cause us to become sick. It can have physical damage, uh, do physical damage to us. Thirdly, it's sin because it denies God's existence in our life. God says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. It's, someone said it's like acting like you're an orphan when you have a father. Think about it. No one cares. No one's taking care of me. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, I'm just all alone in this world. No one at all. I said, you need to rebuke that in Jesus' name. You know, I'm so merciful. Rebuke that in Jesus' name. No, I'm just all alone. No, you're not alone. Quit calling God a liar. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. The only trouble is, you want warm, cuddly, fuzzy things around you. And you need to get in your spirit the awareness that God's presence is here and rejoice in his presence. I want to tell you something. God didn't say everybody was going to have a crowd around them the rest of their lives. I don't know that I'm going to have anybody around me the rest of my life. But I have to come to the place where I have to say it doesn't make any difference. He's with me. My best friend, my closest friend, will never leave me and he'll never forsake me. And so when we do not cast our cares upon him, we're acting like orphans. How many of you parents would like it if your son or daughter went down the street and knocked on the door and said, can I please have a peanut butter sandwich? You say, what are you doing that for? Well, I just didn't know if you'd have any food in the house for me tonight. You know, Are you kidding? I mean, if I had to sell all the shirt off my back, I'd have food for you. What are you talking about? Well, I just didn't trust you completely, and I know we've got a lot of neighbors around here. I'm just going to go and check with them and see if they'll make provision for me. You say, well, that sounds ridiculous. And that's just exactly... What we're doing when we don't trust God and cast all our care on him as though he can't take care of us. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How many of you know that God has plenty in his account? And when he's put his signature on it, you can draw on it by faith. Now the only trouble is, it's like a CD. You can't always get your, money, get your hands on the money when you want it. And when you pray, God is not your bellhop. He's not going to just do it the minute you want him to do it. In fact, he may not do it at all. And if he doesn't, oh, please don't miss this. If he doesn't do what you ask him to do, thank him. Thank him. Because he'll not withhold any good thing from them that walk upright. Are you trying to say, Brother Webb, that this thing that I really want right now is not a good thing? I'm not saying anything. I'm telling you that God's word says he'll not withhold any good thing from them that walk uprightly. And if he doesn't give it to you, thank him. He's protecting you by faith. It says, cast these things upon him. You and I have come to the place where we refuse the ultimate responsibility for the things that are happening in our lives. Let me say that again. To cast your care upon the Lord means that you refuse the ultimate responsibility for what happens to you, to you as an individual. You are not the captain of your soul. Jesus Christ is the captain of your soul. And because he's promised that he'll never forsake you and he'll never leave you, you have to refuse to take the ultimate responsibility for your children. You say, oh, wait a minute, you mean I can blame God for this? No. I mean that you must learn and study biblical principles concerning the rearing of your family and your children. 
and not just be a hearer of those things, but be a doer of those things, saying, I refuse to do anything contrary to the word of God, but I, I refuse to, to disobey God in any of these areas, and I will do whatever God shows me in the word, whatever principles he teaches me. I will do them, and then believe that God will fulfill his promise in the days ahead. You do what he tells you to do, you fulfill his, his requirements, and he's duty-bound to fulfill his promise. So as far as your children are concerned, you commit them to the Lord and you operate by biblical principles, do what the Word of God says, and then let Him bring the outcome. How about you, the, the work you're doing? I, you know, there's some people that really get hypered if they think they're going to lose their job. First of all, it isn't their job. Secondly, it's not them. I mean, they're not their own. God opens doors that no man can close and closes doors that no man can open. And I want to tell you something. There have been times in my life when God has closed doors, and I was standing there trying to bang it back open, saying, God, wait a minute, think about this. You know what? I, I didn't say it exactly that way, but that's the way I was acting. Are you kidding? You know what I was making an hour here? Yeah. Aren't we ridiculous? I don't care what your employment is, what your career might be. You have to cast all that upon the Lord and operate by biblical principles in your job, in your career, with your talents, operating on it, recognizing you're not your own, your gifts are not your own, your talents are not your own, all the acclaim that comes to you, you've got to transfer it to the Lord because He's given you the ability to do it. He's given you the power to do it. He's given you the knowledge. He's given you the health to do it. So you give it to the Lord and do everything as unto the Lord so you don't have to worry about whether the boss is watching you, but that know that the Lord is watching you, and whatsoever your hands find to do it, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. Do it for the glory of God, according to biblical principles, and cast all your cares on the Lord. He'll, he'll care for you. He said, they that honor me, I'll honor them. Hear that? They that honor me, I'll honor them. A lot of reason people cast are not casting all their cares is because they're operating by, not operating by biblical principles, and when the dirt hits the fan... They're saying, God, help me out of this mess. And he says, well, well, I want you to wallow in a little bit until you realize that my way is the best way. 